0: You know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football mm-hmm. as well, that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like, thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say, that like, we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want to – it's just on my heart that I want to pray for. It is. Demar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're we're sad. We're angry. um, And we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray. Truly come to you. And pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar. To be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 It's beautiful. Respectfully.
1: Well, on January 3rd, the Bills game uh, happened, came up against the Bengals, and it seemed like a normal football game, but when the Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, collapsed on the field, everything stopped, to the point that they ended up canceling the game. Uh, He was said to have had a cardiac arrest, and in the days after, people around the country gathered around one common reaction, and it was simply, pray for DeMar. We've got... To pray, right? Even in this situation, ESPN celebrities risking their careers to pray. And in a culture that openly rejects the existence of God, when the chips were down, prayer just felt right. There's something about it, just it seems like the right reaction to pray. Even people that maybe have otherwise no connection to God or to a local church, they haven't prayed in years. There are these moments that happen in our lives where we know like, we need to tap into the power of God. There's something woven into our DNA as humans to believe that the world does not revolve around us. That there's a greater power and that we can somehow tap into that power through prayer. If you're brand new today, welcome to ACF Church. Uh, we are closing out a series called How to Doubt. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited this morning. It's a little different. I know some of you guys are like, what's happening right now? Our flow's a little changed this morning to make some more time at the end of our gathering. And we'll get into what I'm talking about here today here in just a second. But we have to start off by celebrating. We had 20 people get baptized last week. Can we celebrate that? I just, man, I I never want to take that for granted as a church family, watching people move from death to life, watching people go public with their faith, and the courage that that takes to get in front of all of you and get in the tank is just huge. And so I believe God's going to bless that in your life if you are one of those 20. We are praying for you, and uh, we're excited about where God's taking us next week. But uh, today we are closing out this series talking about two things. I have have a a two-part goal here this morning. First, I want to talk about the power of God. And then I want to talk about how to tap into that power. I think that's a really important thing to cover as we talk about doubts, because I'll start with this reality. I believe one of the greatest causes of doubt today is when people encounter the body of Christ absent of the power of Christ, that's right. that it's causing doubt in our world. When people show up, and maybe this is you today, you came to church and you're like, I wonder if God's real. I wonder if he actually exists. I wonder if he's actually at work in the world, and you show up to church and you don't encounter the power of Christ. Uh, A while back I went on a trip and it was a business trip. Somebody had planned uh, to rent a car and they had rented a brand new Mustang, which I'm a car. Any car guys in the room? Anybody love? Yep couple of you. Car people. I love to just be able to drive like a like a nice car when I'm on a trip. And they rented a Mustang, and I was, I was like, we're going to burn the tires off this thing. Uh, that, I was just really excited about it. So we pick it up. I get in the driver's seat, fire it up, put it in gear. And I'm like, okay, we're going we're gonna to burn out right from this moment. Like, we're in a Mustang, everybody. And I, I, I put the throttle to the floor, and it was like, like what's going on is something wrong is it broken you know like and, and, and we, we pull out on the interstate and it's like and I'm, I'm doing the speed limit but I am not impressed right and I'm just like there's got to be something wrong with this rental car and I, I pull over I, I actually like this, this is just me I'm like something I got to fix this thing and so I, I pop the hood and I look inside and to my dismay it was a four-cylinder which I think is an affront to the Lord. Like, this is, this is a problem, friends. If you're connected to Ford in any way, write them letters. This is a problem. And, and I'm just like, why would you do this? I mean, this is a Mustang. This should be full of power. And it wasn't. It's interesting. The reason I tell you that is because I think a lot of people see Christians that way. Like, like you, you, you're, you're a follower of Jesus, right? Yeah. You believe in this God that's all-powerful? Yeah. Like, like, you have the power of God living in you. Yeah, then where's the power? Like, where is it? Like, why, why can't I see it playing out in your life? If you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 1. We're going to talk about when the power of God came into the church and that promise that Jesus had. And in this moment uh, of time, we've got, we've got the, Jesus has shown up and he has manifested God's power. Like, like, in 400 years of silence, Jesus comes on the scene, and when Jesus shows up, people see the power of God. And, and, and they're just blown away by how real God is through Jesus's ministry. And then Jesus goes to the cross. He's crucified, buried, resurrected, and tells the disciples, like, hey, I'm coming back, and don't worry, because I'm going to send my spirit. Like, don't worry about this. But the disciples are still in this place of fear, and they're not operating in the power of God. And, and you've, got, you've got guys like Peter who, who still aren't quite sure what to do with themselves. And there's just lots of doubts and lots of insecurity. All this calling but no power, right? And see, when Jesus showed up, he was the presence of God. And, and that's why everybody was so attracted to Jesus. Because when they encountered Jesus, they encountered God. Like he was the presence of God. And, and, and this is something that we need to understand. That there is, there is the omnipresence of God which is the idea that God exists everywhere at all times. We believe that. Uh, that God is all, he is in this place right now, friends. Like, you came to church, he's here. But he was in your car, he was in, you know, your, your house. And, like, he is everywhere at all times. That's the omnipresence of God. But we also believe that there's something called the manifest presence of God. And the manifest presence of God is this fact that sometimes God shows up and he wants to show his power. Like, this is the moment that God doesn't just show up, he also shows out, Right? <laughs> That he's like, hey, I want you to know I'm here. I'm going to actually show up in a way that's visible and that you can see me. And some of you have had experiences like that where you're like, I know God's like always with me, right? But this is a moment that he was present in a manifested sort of way. And this is what's coming for the church in the book of Acts. And we read in Acts 1 verse 4, it says, On one occasion... While he was eating with them, Jesus was eating them. He, he eating with them. He gave them this command: Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but I, in a few days, or but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, "Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel?" And he said to them, "It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority." But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love that text. There's a few things in the text that I want to point out. First, Jesus was like, Hey, don't go off and do the things I've called you to do without the power I'm gonna give you. Like wait on the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, the church is helpless. Without the Spirit, you are helpless to fulfill God's call on your life. He's like, hey, don't go running off, you know, without the power. And then they ask him, like, are you going to restore the kingdom? What are you going to do? Like, they're expecting Jesus to be the one that moves this ministry forward. And really, it's them who God is going to empower to do his work, to move his kingdom forward. But notice Jesus doesn't give them a clear answer, right? Which this is us a lot of times, like, we want clarity, some of y'all are control freaks, just admit it, right? When you came into church today and the flow was off, you're like, I think I need to leave. I don't know what to do with myself. Like, Brian's up there. We didn't have the band first. Like, and I get it. Like, I sometimes want to control things as well. And when, when we don't know the plan, we don't have control. And it causes us to kind of disengage. For them, they were like, man, I, we don't know what to do. Like, like, what's the plan? And Jesus says, hey, you don't need to know the plan, but you need to know you're going to have power. Like, you don't need the plan, you need the power of God. You don't need to know everything about where things are going, you just need to operate in my power, and then he says, you're going to be my witnesses, right? In other words, when the power of God shows up and fills someone, what's going to happen is ministry is going to happen to the lost. Notice he didn't say, you will receive power, and then you should go be my witnesses, he said, you then will be my witnesses. It's, it's absolutely impossible to be filled with the power and the Spirit of God and not to be a witness to that, to the lost. The people will see that. They'll be drawn to that reality. And after this moment, we, we know that the moment of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes onto the people. And this is amazing. This is powerful. I m- imagine, like, their, their minds are blown because up to this point, the power of God was something completely external, Right? right? It was something they had seen outside of them, but then in this moment, the power of God fills people, right? That God's presence isn't in some temple. It's not about some kind of priest or some kind of holy man that they have to go to to access the power of God. No, the power of God is in them, Like, this is mind-blowing, and and this begins the movement of the church, and then Peter in this moment, right, goes from being timid and fearful, right, and rejecting Jesus then to being bold, preaching the gospel in front of thousands, and people are saved. So what actually is a church with power? Because can you maybe acknowledge that don't you want to be a, a part of a church where there's power, right, where there's something that's powerful happening? Like, what actually is that? I, I, I believe at a baseline, a church with power is a church full of the Holy Spirit. We're a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a church full of radical love that loves the people around them, loves the city, loves the community. It's a church of strong conviction, right? Where we don't just read things or hear things in church, but we go and live these things and, and we're just convicted of these, these realities. It's a church of irrational generosity, right? Right? Where we are known for our ability to give, right? Because we worship a God who gives, who gave his life for us. A church with power is a church of bold proclamation that we're not afraid to speak of Jesus. We're not afraid to speak the words of God. I believe a church with power is a church that's hungry for prayer and for worship. It's a church that wants to gather, right, like you did today. You showed up here, you got in your car, you came to church, right, you tuned in online. You, you've got some kind of hunger to engage, right, with worship and with the Word of God. Uh, Jim Cimbala says this, he says, You can tell how popular a church is by who comes on Sunday morning, but you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meeting. A little invitation for tonight, by the way. Just throwing that out there this evening. We're gathering together right here. I'm excited for that. But what does the power of God look like for you? Like, get personal for a moment. Have you ever experienced the power of God? Have you ever experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit? Uh, and this, is, this is a journey that even I've been on as uh, somebody that's just kind of journeying with God and with the Holy Spirit is that I kind of grew up in a setting where when you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit. And that was sort of the end of the story. And you are filled with the Spirit. But we also read in the Scriptures that there are other subsequent fillings for the believer that you get the Holy Spirit, not just part of Him, all of Him when you're saved. But then as you walk through life, He gets more of you. Does that make sense? You get all of the Spirit, but then you go on the journey of sanctification and surrender, and then the Holy Spirit gets more of you. And there are moments where you are filled with the Spirit and operating in a power that is beyond you. What does that look like in your life. What does that look like for me? I was just kind of reflecting on that in my life. I I think for me, it looks like the ability to love people that are really hard to love. It looks like being filled with compassion for people, uh, for the lost, like, like a broken heart for people that don't know Jesus. Sometimes in my life, it's looked like an ability to understand and articulate the Word of God in a way that is beyond me. I don't know if you guys get this. Like, I'm just a redneck diesel mechanic that's doing his best up here. Like, this, this is not where I thought my life would be uh, 20 years ago, but here I am, and, and I, I, sometimes I just see God work through the Word of God proclaimed in a way that is just so far beyond me. What does the power of God look like in our church? I think at Easter, when we saw 100 people get baptized, that was the power of God, right? That was the manifest presence of God. God was sitting in the room, and He's like, I'm going to show up. Like, I'm here, but I'm going to show up and show out here. And we saw over 100 people get baptized at Easter. Some of you knew some of those people. And you were like, yeah, that dude's a miracle, right? Or that girl's a miracle. I I I can't believe that they got dunked today at church. But, like, you know that that was a manifest presence moment where the power of God was visible. Some of you are in marriages that have been healed by God, and that's a miracle, like, that's the power of God. Some of you, I can't believe you're still married, honestly. Like, like it's, I have doubts sometimes where I'm like, I don't think they're going to make it, y'all. And, and God works in miraculous ways, and people come through, and it's this amazing testimony to your friends, to your family, like that God can heal the most broken of marriages. I believe this, and I want you to hear this today, that, that I believe that you need a fresh filling of the power of God. We're a church that believes that the power of God is fully active in the church today, and He wants to be if we're willing to reach out to Him, if we're willing to trust in Him. So then what opposes the power of God? Because we know this, that the Holy Spirit, uh, I, say, I said this to our staff this week, I believe the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Like, like He's willing to go, okay, you don't, you don't want me? Then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some space. If you don't want my power, then I'm not going to operate in power in your life. But when you do, it's an invitation to begin to see Him. So what begins to oppose the power of God or the Spirit of God, right? In the Scriptures, we see the Holy Spirit can be grieved, right? Holy Spirit can be resisted, that we actually have a part to play when it comes to seeing the power of God manifested in our lives. Sometimes it's just simple things that oppose the power of God. I think comfort can oppose the power of God. I'm going to be real with you. I think I live a pretty comfortable life. And sometimes I'm not sure even what to do with that. Because I believe that sometimes through being comfortable, and, and by comfortable what I mean is you're not maybe waking up every day saying, God, would you just help me to have lunch today? Would you just help me to be able to, 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 to take care of my kids today? And, and, and can I just have a place to sleep tonight? Like most of us in general are not praying those prayers. We live pretty comfortable lives. And so one of the ways that I think we oppose the power of God is we pursue comfort in a lifestyle that never needs the power of God. And so we wonder, why don't I see it? And the answer is, well, because you don't need it. Because you're not putting yourself in situations where you are needing to trust in God. It's comfort, right? It's distraction. I'll tell you what, like, I don't believe the devil needs you to lead a cult to take you out of the game. He just needs you to be scrolling more time than you're praying to take you out of the game. Like, if you can just be like, it's you and your wife, just scroll, 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 right? It's you and the kids, scroll, scroll, scroll. It's you in bed at night, scroll, scroll, scroll. Like, if he can keep you on your phone, just scrolling all day long, he can keep you out of the game. And it's small things like that. At some point, we have to look up and go, where is the power of God? I think when we have no stomach for sacrifice, it opposes the power of God. Uh, We don't live in a culture of sacrifice. We live in a culture of me. Like, like everything's just make my life happier and better, and so when, when the church loses its ability to sacrifice, because again, sacrifice means discomfort, doesn't it, right? You can give up something, and it's not uncomfortable, which is what most of us like to do, right? We give till it hurts, then we stop, right? Again, this, is, this doesn't look like Jesus. Jesus gave till it hurt, and he kept going, Right, And and so when we don't give beyond it hurting, we have no stomach for sacrifice and we don't, again, have to tap into the power of God. And we don't manifest His presence, I believe, in some ways that He wants to. I think consumer-driven church can oppose the power of God. When when, when I, as a pastor, have a vision of simply getting you comfortable in the church and serving you instead of teaching you how to serve God, that can oppose the power of God. I, I believe biblical pandering... When we try to build a God that's created in our image, right, instead of realizing we're created in His image, and we design a Bible that is all around whatever makes us comfortable, it's no wonder we don't see the power of God in our midst. This is one that uh, I would call practical cessationism. And practical cessationism uh, is simply this, this feeling or this idea that, like, the Spirit of God is no longer at work in the world today. This is what cessationism is, is this idea that um, the gifts and the power of the Spirit were active in the early church, right, to establish the church and to show people that God is real. And yet, once the church was established, those gifts then ceased to be effective and to work in the church. And so that's cessationism, we don't believe that. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are active in the church today, and that honestly, I believe more than ever in 2023, people need to see the power of God at work. They they do. And and so we believe that, but practical cessationism is this idea that you would say, oh no, I believe in the power of the Spirit, but you live like He doesn't exist and work in the world today. So it's this idea that you would pray for things that you believe that God would never do, right? You pray for healing, but you're like, He probably won't heal. You pray for God to give you strength, he probably won't give me strength. And if he does, you don't give him credit for those type of things. This is practical cessationism. First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So this is like a command to the church. Not that you should be like, oh, the gifts exist, but that you should eagerly desire after the gifts of the Spirit to begin working in and through your life. Practical cessationism, I think, is a major issue in the church today. That we say, oh man, yeah, Holy Spirit, fill me, but we don't actually believe that he will fill us. So this is some reasons why we don't see power in the church. I think then the question is, why don't our friends and neighbors sometimes see power in the church? A friend of mine uh, was telling me the other day that he has a college-age son who no longer is involved with the church. And he was just kind of, his heart was broken about that. And I was like, well, what's going on? What does he say is the reason that he's not going to church? And he said, the reason is, he said, I go to church to see God, and I go to church and I don't find God. Like, I don't see God at work in the church. I can't see, essentially, his power. Like, why are people claiming not to see the power of God? The first, I think, is this, because he isn't, it, because it isn't there. Like, the power of God actually isn't alive in that church or through those people. And so the reason they're not seeing is it because there is no power there. So you need to understand this, that you can be saved and spend eternity with God and not operate in his power. And for a lot of us, that's our goal, right? Like, it's just as simple as that. Just get me, get me out of hell, get me into heaven, but I don't necessarily want to experience his power. It might get a little uncomfortable. And again, that's affecting, it's affecting other people's faith. It will ultimately affect your own faith if you live that way. The second reason I think people claim not to see the power of God is because we usually see what we're looking for. And, and if people aren't really looking for it, if they're just showing up and they're not expecting to see the power of God, they won't probably see it. I think this is true of Christians as well. If you're not looking for God to be at work in your life, then you probably won't see Him at work in your life. And there's been this like, thing happening in our church Really since, since the beginning of the year of just this awakening to the presence of God. And this like opening to, maybe maybe this is God at work. Maybe God's actually doing things around us once in a while. A friend of mine the other day, he was like telling me this story. He was just like running around trying to get ready for work and he couldn't find his keys. And he was like, I, I guess I'll pray. God, help me find my keys. And he was like, he like looked over and there they were. And he was like, there's my keys. Pray. And he was like, he said it was such a funny little simple moment that he didn't know what to do with. Because he was like, well, I just looked over and found my keys. But then he, he got to wrestling. He's like, well, did God help me to find my keys? Like, was this a miraculous moment of the power of God helping me find my keys? Or was it just like, dude, you just found your keys. And it's, if you've ever wrestled with that, you are not alone, Okay. Like, we all struggle with that. What do we give God credit for? And so in our small group this week, we were, like, wrestling through this idea of, like, what kind of things do you give God credit for? And, like, what would it take for you to give God credit for something, right? Like, how much proof do you need to believe that God's power just showed up in your life? I I got permission to share this other story. Um, We've been praying uh, over people in our church for the past month or so, making phone calls, just calling different people and saying, how can we pray for you? And uh, Mason, our, uh, our worship leader, was, was making a phone call, called a lady. She said, I, I have this major anxiety issue, and uh, it's, it's debilitating and really struggling with this issue in my life. And so uh, I just really need prayer for it. I'm looking at getting some medication, and it's, it's just a huge issue. And so um, Mason's praying for her. And, and while he's praying for her, she gets down on her knees. And she just, she told me later, she said, I just felt something I've never felt before. Like something filled me from my head to my toe. And and he said, amen, and got off the phone. And she was like, well, that was cool. But what just happened? And, And over the course of the next few days, no more anxiety attacks, no more panic attacks. She was miraculously healed this month, which is amazing. And so, yeah, we can thank God for that. You can celebrate the healing of God. So then here's what happened, so like Mason hears this story about this, and, and, and she was really reluctant, like a week later she came up, with his, and, and she didn't want to, you know, make it into a big deal, but she was like, I just need to tell you, I believe that God healed me, and so when she tells Mason, that Mason told me, he got, I could tell this story, but he, he's like, he told me later, he's like, she said that, and I was like, well, that's cool, I guess, you know, like God healed her, but did he heal her? And so we actually went on this journey together as, as a staff, and we're working through this idea of, like, what does it take to believe that God just healed someone? What does it take to believe that the power and the presence of God just showed up? And the question I have is, like, where can you go wrong giving God the glory for showing up in your life? Like, can you, are you going to sit before God someday, and God's going to be like, well, dude, you just gave me way too much credit. Like, <laughs> Like, that was all you. I'm just, I wasn't even really involved, and I think, I think there's this, I don't know if it's a fear or a discomfort, like, we don't want to just be crazy people saying that, like, there's a demon under every rock and everything is God, right? And so because of that, we've overcorrected and become people that never give God the glory he deserves, which I don't think that's safer, can, can we agree? Like, like, if we're like, it's safer to just, I'm not going to say that's a miracle or say God showed up. I don't know that God's going to be like, man, you gave me too much glory. I, I fear that I'm going to stand before him. And he's like, man, I was showing up in your life and you never acknowledged me. You were always too fearful to give me credit. You were always so scared of what people would think of you. And so worried about your reputation that you wouldn't simply say, God showed up and was active in my life. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, For this reason, the question whether miracles occur can never be answered simply by experience. Every event which might claim to be a miracle is, in the last resort, something presented to our senses, something seen, heard, touched, smelled, and tasted. And our senses are not infallible. If anything extraordinary seems to have happened, we can always say that we have been victims of an illusion if we hold a philosophy which excludes the supernatural, this is what we always shall say. Practical cessationism. We say, oh God, there's this God of the universe that exists that has rescued me from hell, from sin and death. But you think he can't help you find your keys? Right? Like, I mean, this just, it doesn't make any sense, but that's how we live. And so it's no wonder that your friends and neighbors, they show up and they're like, I go to church, but I don't see God. I go to your house and I don't know, like I don't get the sense around you that there's like anything moving through you and I think so much of it has to do with us and our fear, right? And our lack of faith. Psalm seventy-eight thirty-two says, in spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. In spite of him showing up, we did not believe. So how do we approach the power of God as a church? Like, how are we going to do this? Because some of y'all, when I start talking Holy Spirit and I talk the power of God, some of you guys are like, I need to get out of here. This is getting weird. And uh, maybe you grew up in a church where um, there was a lot of manipulation happening and it's really uncomfortable, and so you kind of reject a church that wants to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. Others of you here are like, get him, Brian. Get him. Like, bring it on, fill this place. I want to see people laying on the floor by the end of the service. Some of you guys are just like, you're like, go for it. And I, I love that that's our church, you guys. We're from all different church backgrounds. And I love that reality of us. But we have, to, we have to take a step forward together. And the reason I think this is so important is because we read in 1 Corinthians 4.20 that says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Amen. And at some point, you've got to stop just talking, and you got to start living in the power of God. Some of you guys, man, you can rattle off the scriptures, and you look, you look, you got the spiritual look on the outside again, but we're not operating in the power of God. We want to be a church of power, and what's happened, there's sort of a great divorce in the church today. There are a lot of churches that would call themselves spirit churches, and there are churches that would call themselves word churches, And what happens is there are, you know, word churches that are like, we're all about the Bible. We're all about theology, right? We're all about the truth of God. And over here, there are people who are like all about the spirit of God and the power of God. And again, Jesus shows up, and he's one that lives in both realities, right? Jesus is the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Then Jesus goes and he heals the sick. And he gives sight to the blind. And he operates in the power of God. He says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. He's in step with the Spirit at every moment of his life. So we will not be a word church or a spirit church. We will be both. Amen. And we don't want to reject either or, or fall off into either side. And so how do we approach uh, the power of God? I want you to remember these three words. That's so key. Expectation without agenda. This is how we're approaching the power of God as our church, is, is expectation without agenda. So what does this mean? I believe that we need to start showing up expecting that the power of God is present yeah. and that the Holy Spirit is going to be there and that the Word of God is going to be proclaimed. I don't know if you need to spend five more minutes in your car before you come in this building or before you get ready for small group or before you go to work, but you need to start to kind of prepare your heart for your day and believe and expect that God is going to be there. Yeah and that he may choose to show his presence in in a certain way. This is expectation. What happens when you're a church with no expectation? You're a sleepy little church that is slowly dying, that people come in and they're like, I don't believe God is present. And we don't want to be a sleepy little church that's dying. We want to be a church of life and vibrance and hope for the world, and that means the power of God at work through our expectation of him showing up. What happens when you're a church that is full of expectation and agenda, what happens is you become manipulators, right? Because not only do we expect God to show up, but we expect Him to show up in a certain way. So this is when we have to manipulate God, and we go, God, here are my plans for you, right? Here are the things that you need to do in my life, and we start to demand things from God and think that I can claim things from God that God has not promised me. That's expectation with agenda. Expectation with agenda hurts people, right? Because we start to lay, God's, uh, lay our own expectations on people of how God's going to show up in their lives and say, well, you don't have the Holy Spirit because you don't speak in tongues, right? Or you haven't, you haven't fallen on your face, you know, filled with the spirits. So you don't have them. And so this is expectation with agenda. We don't want to go down that road. We want to be people of full expectation without agenda because we are not God. And so we want to fully believe in the promises of God. We want to walk boldly in the things that God has promised us and, and claim those things to be true. But we also don't want to have an agenda for how He shows up. We want to have no pressure, just be hopeful. We want to have a theology of suffering and know that sometimes the way the the power of God shows up in someone's life is that He's not going to physically heal them. He's going to give them the power to just get out of bed every day and to trust that His grace is sufficient for their weakness, right? And so all of these things are so true. And so we want to be people who approach the power of God full of expectation but no agenda for how He is to work. You see, I believe that the infinite God of the universe wants to show his power through the willingness of ordinary people like you and like me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he wants to do that? Like, because if you actually believe that it's going to change the way that you speak, it's going to change the way that you live, it's going to change how you spend your time, like he wants to show up in your life. We believe that. And he honestly loves to take the most unimpressive people and do the most extraordinary things. I love that like Mason was the one praying for someone. He was like, I'm kind of lacking some faith. And God chose Mason to be one that was a conduit for his healing. You know, And I love that. That's what God loves to do is he takes the weakest in the crowd and says, I'm going to make you strong to show you my glory. I'm going to choose the weak people and I'm going to, I'm going to lift them up and I'm going to, I'm going to take people that, that are walking with a limp in their lives, spiritually or emotionally, I'm going to use them in powerful ways because it's all going to bring more glory to me. That's what God wants to do. It's not about our glory. It's not about seeing another manifestation of His presence, right? right. God, God is not some kind of party trick. He's not here to impress us. It's about giving more honor to God and seeing His kingdom move forward. And so I want to ask you, like, where do you need the power of God right now? If you look at your own life, I want you to think, like, where do I need the power of God to show up? Is there healing that you need in your life? Uh, I would be honest, like in this room, everyone should nod your head. We all need healing in our life. Some of you, it's like obviously physical. You walked in here with a cane or crutches, and it's, it's, it's a physical healing. Some of you, it's an emotional thing where you do have a a, uh, anxiety that you can't get over and you don't know what to do with right now. Maybe it's a uh, it's a spiritual issue and we talked last week all about church hurt and you've got some kind of deep wound with the church or with Christianity or with God himself and you need healing from that. You need forgiveness through the power of a spirit. Maybe some of you have uh, some kind of mental health issue right now. You are dealing with major depression and, and you don't know what to do with that, and you need God to heal you in that area of your life. Maybe you're full of fear, and you wake up every day fearful, or maybe you're dealing with addiction, or maybe you're dealing with doubt, and you're like, Brian, I've been doubting this whole sermon, and the only way I think I can move forward is if God does something in my life. I want to talk about healing, and I want to talk about these afflictions for just a moment, because really there comes to be a question, like a theological question, is like, why are people afflicted? with these things. I think there's a few things. The first is the sin of humanity. We see in the beginning when sin entered the world that everything from humanity to the animals to the earth itself was all affected by sin. Everything is fractured and not as it should be, and so sometimes we are afflicted simply as a response to sin in the world. The second thing, and this is a hard one to deal with, is that sometimes we are afflicted because of personal sin. That, that God will actually uh, discipline those who he loves, right? And that, that because of our unrepentant sin, he will discipline us. In fact, um, in the first century, in the, first, the, the, the Corinthian church, they were, uh, they were dealing with some sin. Um, at, at this point, Paul is responding to them in 1 Corinthians 11 because they're showing up to church and instead of like taking the Lord's table and reflecting on who he is and making it this orderly, beautiful thing, they were just showing up and getting drunk on the communion, Which I always laugh at people who are like, let's get back to the first century church. And I'm like, okay, sweet. Let's all get drunk on communion, right? Um, Which you guys haven't done that yet. Well done, 2023 church. You know, maybe someday I'll have to deal with that. But this is what Paul is dealing with in the first century church. And he says in verse 29, he says, For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. People have died because of this. So they're living in unrepentant sin and they're being disciplined by God for their sin. The third reason some people are afflicted is demonic sickness. Again, here's you've got to remember this. If you're going to believe in God, you've got to believe in demons, right? You can't be like, oh, well, I believe in God, but demons are too weird for me. <laughs> like, You've got to understand, like, you believe in a spiritual realm and that there's a demonic world that exists. And in Luke 13, 10, we see that it says this, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. And so we know that some people are actually afflicted by the demonic. Now now some people ask, well, how does that affect the believers? And as believers, we don't believe that you can be possessed by the demonic, but you can absolutely be afflicted by the demonic, right? We talked last week about how we shouldn't give the devil a foothold, right? And so, The devil does want to steal and kill and destroy and is is sometimes gaining some traction in our lives. And then the fourth reason that we see that people are afflicted is this, to show God's glory through healing. John 9, 1 says, As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, in the first century, when somebody was sick, it was always because they had done something wrong. They believe that it was always sin in this person's life. Jesus responds, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, so sometimes it's not because of anything that you've done. Sometimes, again, it's a moment where you're to just trust in the power of God and God's going to show up in however he chooses, right? Expectation without agenda. And he's going to do that in a way that shows people his glory. And sometimes because of our suffering, God gets the glory. Which for some of you, you need to go, well then maybe it's worth it. And as we look at this life, and I know that we all want to be healed, and we all want miraculous healing, but sometimes, man, when we see that this life is a blink of an eye, maybe if my suffering leads to somebody else's salvation, it's worth it. And so that's what he's saying, is like sometimes there's a purpose for it, now then, if there is healing or the power of God does show up in a, in a supernatural way, what does this look like in people's lives? I think, I think it looks like this. How does God heal the believer? Well, three different things we see immediately through miracles in the Scriptures. Sometimes God will show up and, and the power of God will fall on somebody and they will like get up and walk and it's amazing. And it's a miraculous moment. Another way that God heals people is gradually through Medicine. We believe in medicine. Sometimes y'all just need a little Tylenol, right? Ibuprofen. It's okay to get the medication you need. And so sometimes God will heal people over time through medication. And some of you have experienced that where a year ago the doctor said, man, there's no way that you're going to be able to, to walk like you used to or run like you used to. And a year later, you have been healed and you're giving God the glory for that. And another way we see God heal is ultimately in heaven. Eventually God will heal. Here's the promise, and we believe this is, this is the, the fourfold gospel of, of what's called the missionary alliance, which is what we're a part of, is that Jesus Christ is both savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. And so because he is the healer for those who are following Jesus, healing is not just something we hope for, it is something that we have as a guarantee. It is something that is coming for every single believer, either immediately or gradually or eventually. Healing is a promise a beautiful reality. So the question is, how do we tap into it? What do we do? I think this whole series has been about dealing with doubt, and what doubt sometimes does is it paralyzes us from simply moving in step with what God has called us to do. Again, expectation without agenda. There is a way to expect God to show up and to move in your life and yet to not have an agenda for that to happen. And some of you guys have had so much unprocessed disappointment that you have stopped praying for things. Like God has not shown up in the way that you wanted Him to. He has not fulfilled your agenda, so you stop simply doing the thing God has asked you to do, which is simply to pray. Just just come to me on your knees and pray. It will transform you and transform your life in one way or another if you are willing to pray. you got to work through that unprocessed, Disappointment. the question is, like, what if we actually did the Jesus stuff? Like, what if we actually walked through, the, through, through our lives and did the things that Jesus did, praying for the sick, right? Getting on our knees with people who are hurting and, and just crying out to God, asking him to show up in their lives. What if we prayed for him to work in our lives consistently? What if we got together for each other and just, just cried out to God, we, we need to see you. And while God, we we love that you're always here and and that the omnipresence of God is always here, we want to see the manifest presence of God as well. And so to get together and to cry out to God, James 5 says this, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Answer, yes, all of us, right? Then let them call the elders in the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So this is the Jesus stuff. Like, this is the real stuff. Are you sick? Yes. In one way or another. Do you need healing? Yes then you should gather together. And he talks about the elders first because the elders of a church are specifically called to pray for the sick and anoint them with oil. But what then he goes on to say is, then therefore go and pray for one another. In other words, he's not saying only elders can pray for the sick and anoint them with oil. Everyone gets to do this, right? This is an all-play. Everybody gets to play the game. Again, the Holy Spirit doesn't go to some holy man or some person with a position. He goes to the body of Christ and he fills them. He says everyone's empowered to do the work of God. Every single person in the room. Now, some of you guys are wondering why did you get a little vial of oil um, when you walked in? Um, This is why, because we're going to do the Jesus stuff. And, And again, like what is oil about in the Scriptures? Well, oil represents three things, God's presence, God's favor, and God's uh, healing. God's presence, his favor, and his healing. And so when we read the scriptures, we see this like, we see kings being anointed with oil. We see the priests being anointed with oil. This oil was a symbol of these three things, right? Presence, favor, and healing. And and you got oil for a few reasons. First, um, I want you to have this in your pocket this week. And when you go through life, uh, whatever it is that you're going through, I want you to kind of just be able to feel that in your pocket and remember God's presence, His favor, and His healing is, is in your life. It's always with you. He's always with you. But also we want to be a church that, that lives out this call to do the Jesus stuff, to pray for the sick. And so we as a church, uh, in fact, if, if there's people who are on the prayer team, I want you to come forward. We want to take a moment here today during this service. And if you're with us online, you can participate in the chat as well. But we actually want to pray for you. And this is a little out of the ordinary for us as a church. We, don't, we have prayer every week in the back of the room, but we're going to invite you to be bold today and to come forward over the, the next few songs and to get prayed for. Because the answer is, everyone in the room is sick in one way or another. And while Jesus is, has healed us, um, in, 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 in some ways there's so many ways that we're left to be healed, right? I can see that in my life. And so what we're going to give you the chance to do is just to come up and pray for, for healing, for the power of God to show up in your life. If you're dealing with anxiety, with fear, if you need physical healing, and then if you want to be anointed with oil, that's great. Again, the oil, this isn't like magic oil, okay? It doesn't do anything, it's just, it's just vegetable oil. But it's a symbol of the healing and the power of God. So if you're like, I don't want to do the oil thing, that's fine, right? God can work it without oil, but... This is just something, again, that that we're called to do. Just walk in faithfulness to the things that God has called us to do and let God do the things that only God can do. Like this is how to doubt, right? How to doubt is just bring your weak faith before God. And I love that this is, I'll close with this. I love the story of the man with the epileptic son because he comes to Jesus with weak faith. And he's just so worn out and so sick of praying and so sick of being disappointed. And he comes to Jesus and he goes, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I love that reality that that that's the prayer of somebody who God wants to use and to fill. It's not about the size or strength of your faith, right? That your weak little faith is more powerful in the hands of God than your weak faith in yourself or in your circumstances. And so bring your weak faith before God, and it will show him to be worthy and powerful enough to heal. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to encourage you. In fact, would you stand up? I'm going to pray for us, and, and over the next few songs, I want to encourage you to come forward. And um, if we can pray for you, we would love to pray healing in your life right now. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are here, that you are present in this room, and we invite your manifest presence in this room. God, that we could see your power at work and yet at the same time, God, we have all the expectation and no agenda. God, we don't, ex- we don't expect for you to do things in a certain way. We just expect you to show up. And so, God, we lay down those things at your feet, God, and ask that we would continue to have the faith to ask for healing. God, I pray for the person in this room that is either scared or just worn out, that you would give them courage, that you give them the faith that they don't have. God, thank you that even our faith is a gift from you. And we need to trust in you for those those things. God, so we pray you'd show up in this space. God, work in ways that only you can work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.